Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're hailing from. Welcome to another edition of the DevOpsish Podcast. My name is Chris Short, uh, editor-in-chief, owner, whatever you want to call me, of DevOpsish, the newsletter. You can find it at devopsish.com. And a friendly reminder that uh, devopsish.com this year is brought to you by honeycomb.io. The good folks are here to help you observe your things. So you should uh, listen to them potentially and get some good observability out of your stacks. All right. So as usual, the purpose of this podcast is to go over the inputs into the newsletter, not necessarily the newsletter itself. So it's to give you, the listener, kind of a different look at the news of the week. You can go read the newsletter. You can go do that and ask questions as you please there. But probably the most important thing from this week's newsletter, uh, you know, humanity-wise, was the passing of Corey Crudgington. Um, I found out on Wednesday that Corey Crudgington had passed away. Uh, Kubernetes Steering Committee members had reached out to myself and Kaslin Fields, so shout out to Kaslin, even though you're not on. Maybe you'll hear this later. Um, we kind of sprang into action, got the community informed, created a communication loop with his employers, did you know all the kind of things you would need to do as if this community member were an employee of ours, right? So it felt, it very much felt like a loss in the family on this one. Um, so I'm still kind of, you know, uncertain about it all, but we are planning a memorial ceremony for Cody at KubeCon and um, more details will come out via Kate's contributors on Twitter, the KDEV mailing list. Uh, if you're in the community, you'll know what that is. If you're not, message me. And if you want to be in the community, definitely let me know that. Um, and then finally, uh, you'll find it in my newsletter when the details are out. Um, so yeah, on that note, let's move on to the news behind the news. Let's look at Twitter for the past little bit. Um, we are live in this Twitter space. So that is the uh, top tweet of the hour, apparently. But uh, let's see, going back here a little ways. Uh, I am soliciting... Uh, newsletters, news sources, they could be podcasts or Twitter spaces even, um, for uh, adding to cubenews.net. I was cleaning up some websites this week, and I noticed that cubenews.net had uh, quite a few 404s, and that was kind of sad. So there's only a handful of like educational resources on that site at this point. So if you get your news or information about Kubernetes from any other source, feel free to shoot me a a tweet, a DM, an email, whatever you see fit. Um, let's see. The the, 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 the Kubernetes uh, steering committee elections, or I'm sorry. Yeah, steering committee election ended last week. So we'll find out the results of that hopefully sometime soon. Um, let's see. The, what is this tweet? Yes. Um, the tweet from Tony Den. Oh, yeah. I mentioned this in the newsletter, but it's probably worth mentioning in the podcast. Tony Den's like, you know, a, a Mac dev, iOS dev, whatever you want to call him, is a developer. And he created this program called Ask Command. Literally, askcommand.com is the, the URL to get this tool. And it uses GPT-3, but you can type in, like, with Bash, how do I... XYZ or like 
can I use sed and awk to find all instances of this in a CSV? Like you could literally put in natural language like that and it'll pop out and give you a command uh, in the language of your choosing or whatever. It's using GPT-3 under the hood. So there's a licensing thing there. Something many people don't realize is that open AI isn't actually open source. They just put open in their name and they charge a license fee for the AI that they make available for charge. So you have to buy some credits to use this tool, but it's really cool. Like I typed in a bunch of different stuff this weekend and I got to say that like, like I had some free credits and I actually bought some more just to give you an idea of like how handy it was, you know, cause the examples were like, Oh, give me an HTTP server in Python in this directory. And it's like, well, I've already got an alias for that. But if I wanted to do that with say Java or, you know, some other language that I don't know how to do that in, or some other alias that I don't know how to do that with, I could potentially get it from this. And that's kind of cool. So check that out. It's at askcommand.com. It's a really cool tool. It's a very popular tweet when I was sharing it with y'all. So definitely suggest checking that out. And I totally closed uh, the wrong Twitter tab just now. So that's fun. Anyways. So yeah, any... Any burning needs or questions? Let me actually get that link into the chat here. Feel free to raise your hand or ask to come on, and I will grant you access to speak. Uh, today we are going to use the wonderful universal keyboard from Apple um, to do our tweeting. So yeah, today I am using AirPods not my normal microphone setup, as well as uh, just a charging cable thing. Whereas normally, my setup would be like to use my fancy mic and everything else. But for whatever reason, that wasn't providing enough power this morning, which I found was interesting because I have it hooked up to like the biggest MacBook Pro charger you can get. So yeah, there's something going on there. And I'll have to figure that out at some point. Anyways, uh, let's move on to... Reddit. Uh, if you're not familiar, there is a subreddit called DevOps-ish, all lowercase, all one word, no special characters. Um, and you can subscribe to that and basically drink from the fire hose. That is uh, my suggested reads. Uh, let's see. Girls Who Code. Their books had been banned last week uh, in Pennsylvania. And finally... Somebody from Girls Who Code spoke out about how that was really kind of not like a nice thing to do and how, like, quote, this is about controlling women and it starts with controlling our girls and what info they have access to. Uh, and that was a quote from uh, Reshma Suyani. So she said it, not me. Just keep that in mind. I think the uh, the article speaks for itself. I think the actions of whomever in wherever land that got this book uh, banned, or the yeah, the book for girls who code, like the instruction manual, essentially, yeah, like that's probably something that should just be available to everyone in general, right? Like that would be nice, but no, we can't have nice things, anyways. Uh, next thing coming up. So, as I continue to iterate on workflows, please bear with me. 
Uh, carbon removal hype is beginning, becoming a dangerous distraction, right? This is from the MIT review. They are, you know, someone I actually pay money to, to read their articles. So they're, it's a very good source of news. Um, but yeah, like the, the idea of we're just going to remove all the carbon from the atmosphere and the world will be fine. Isn't really like taking off like people would think. So yeah, it's kind of a problem. Um, but yeah, read the article. Oh God, let me check, take off all this tracking crap because Lord knows you don't need to be tracked. There's enough of that going on in your life. Uh, share that article out and you can read it for yourself. Um, but anyways, yeah, like I do pay for news to bring you some news articles from time to time. So last week I had an interesting issue with Siri that, uh, basically my Siri would not work. My wife's Siri would work. And when I say my Siri, I mean all my devices, it would not work for some reason. So I go look and it turns out I'm actually sinkholing one address that I needed to sinkhole or didn't need to sinkhole. And, uh, so I go and I allow this, that, and everything starts working fine. But, uh, it goes to the fact that, uh, my wife and I use different DNS servers. Um, and like that was tough to troubleshoot given that, you know, I thought, well, this is a thing that should be blocked, uh, and it's being blocked. So I had to get all the TCP and UDB ports used by Siri. I had to get all the domain names used by Siri and like that's actually documented from Apple. So that's on the subreddit and I can throw that in there. The, the domains were by far more important than the ports. I, you know, I'm not port blocking on anything outbound. So yeah, that's, it's useful. Um, so check it out. If you ever have problems with Siri, that's probably why the next thing is from cube first, which is a new ish company. I've never heard of them before. Um, but they have an article, an open source approach to self-hosting a GitOps platform. Uh, I thought it was interesting because, you know, it's, it's them basically saying, this is how we cook our secret sauce. Um, but you know, it has options, uh, you know, automate your infrastructure's code. They mentioned Terraform, Crossplane, Pulumi, Atlantis. I've never even heard of that. But yeah, like there's CloudFormation, all this other stuff in there uh, that you can talk about. Uh, choose your GitOps driver, right? Like it takes an agnostic approach to Argo and Flux or GitLab and their offering. Uh, secrets management talks. Basically, it's a, about Vault, which I think after going to DevOps Day Chicago and sitting in the open space that I sat in talking about pain points around containers. Um, Vault is by far like the preferred secret solution. Um, after that, it's like your cloud providers. And then after that, it's, you know, insert thing here kind of deal. Um, and when I say insert thing here, I mean like SOPs or external secrets or whatever. It's part, like there's a tool that's part of the secrets chain that's being used. And it's more of a string of tools as opposed to secrets management in the vault sense. But yeah, you can use vault for basically everything. Um, and off you go. So this is a really cool article just about like what you need to get going. You know, it's not like that simple. I know GitOps is hard because it's actually like a prescriptive way of doing DevOps. Um, 
it's you know it's hard because of all the moving pieces which well that's today's environments these days uh next up oh stadia is dead like we didn't see that coming um oh i found a cool site uh this weekend i think called trendy.dev you may have heard of it uh it could just be new to me but it basically goes over the trending repositories of the day you can sort by language obviously you can sort by time uh very handy uh it's a good way to like stay up to date on what's going on in the you know coding universe that is github and yeah check that out when you get a chance Next up is the pros and cons of eVPF profiling. This uh, this was in the newsletter, I think, or at least in the notes. It's from Pyroscope, so you know they have some skin in the game here. But uh, you know they do go over all the ways you can do profiling and some of the pros and cons, right? And then they come over the top with uh, their solution, which is called what? Well, basically whatever they recommend. Uh, it looks at native language profiling and then like EBPF profiling, which EBPF is stuff from the kernel where native language stuff is like stuff you stick in your code. It's an interesting, you know, kind of pro con kind of deal. Just remember to keep that in mind. You know, telemetry is everything these days, I feel like. And, you know, oh, there's hotel, there's honeycomb, there's any number of services that can help you with it. But, uh, to know how to do profiling, like in what sense or what context uh, is kind of important, right? So if you know that like the kernel is not going to see this because it's happening, you know, somewhere in your code, you know, to put profiling there as opposed to relying 100% on eBPF to do it for you. Um, just keep that, you know, in the back of your head kind of deal, you know, one of those good kind of pro con articles. Um, so science.org published something about big uh, COVID waves maybe coming with new variants. Um, that kind of sucks if that pays out, but that's more reason to get your vaccinations and such and, you know, wear masks where appropriate kind of deal. Uh, so, you know, KubeCon is a masked event. I just went to DevOps Day Chicago two weeks ago. It was a masked event. It was very simple. You wore a mask. You were fine. But also with DevOps Day Chicago, they made you verify vaccination status as well. So that way, in case you did have to take off your mask to eat and drink, you had some layer of protection. You know, I think that's probably become going to become the norm for conferences for a little bit. I know where it hasn't, they've had a lot of problems. Um, RSA is now notorious for being like a two-time COVID super spreader event. All right. So enough with Reddit. Let's go to LinkedIn and look at all the news behind the news there. So uh, Matt Ricard put out an article about why Stadia failed. I thought it was a good read. I mean, short, sweet, to the point kind of deal. Um, but basically, you know, Google did something amazing, yet again, by trying to get Stadia up and running in the way it did. But, you know, to consumers, the jig is up. The, you know, right? Like, people aren't going to invest money in, you know, a lot of Google stuff right now 
because Google is literally notorious for killing off products. So, yeah, that sucks, but that's the way that goes. Um, Stadia's gone, and that's all there is to that. Uh, let's see. So, there's some new Exchange Zero Days in the wild. Go patch your exchanges as you see fit. Um, I do not know how this affects any of Azure's services around mail, so give it a read. To make sure, I'm sure their systems are patched, but double check. Um, you know, trust but verify kind of thing when it comes to hey, things have done things done by the cloud provider. Make sure they're actually done. Uh, NeoVim eight or dot eight came out last week. Go to the NeoVim repo for that. Uh, if you want to know where that is, I can share that here. Boom. And there's a direct link to that. Uh, oh, this was a good story. Uh, this is, this is me telling story time. Okay. So if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but this is what I used to do for a living. Uh, NSA employee leaks classified intelligence and has been charged with espionage. Former NSA InfoSec designer, don't ask me what that means, uh, Jara Sebastian Dalk was arrested by the FBI in Denver, Colorado on Wednesday as part of a sting operation. Why is this me storytelling time? I was stationed in Denver, Colorado, and I know when they say NSA and Denver, there's only one site that exists, and that's the one that I was at, um, at least at the time. Uh, there could be others spread out throughout. Well, NSA has presence in Colorado Springs, obviously. NSA has presence in a lot of places in DOD because they are directly attached. But there was an actual NSA information facility that this person was trying to steal assets from and sell to a would-be, you know, who's he, what's it's, but was actually an FBI informant. Uh, you know, does that sound like entrapment? No. And here's why. Um, counterintelligence is a thing. It's a very important uh, part of the intelligence community itself. So, you know, we have to, we, U.S. intelligence community has to watch over itself and look for potential, like, disgruntled people and, you know, manage their clearances accordingly. Now, it's really hard to disengage and re-engage somebody's security clearance. So typically what would happen is if they were in a situation, if somebody was in a situation that they couldn't do their job with their classified clearance because of some compromising situation, it could be anything. It could be a DUI. It could be anything, right? Like they basically just sat out, right? Like they didn't not go to work, but they would go to work in a different way for the military. They didn't do their job, essentially. They would go do cleanup duty or something like that for a little bit or help around with other things in the squadron. Um, so, yeah, it, it, this being a, a contractor, the, the same options aren't available. So whatever an InfoSec designer is, they had plenty of access to plenty of secrets. And, you know, just by being in that facility, they knew a lot already. So, yeah, that was kind of uh, a funny haha laugh moment, but also hit close to home. Uh, numerous, uh, next article, sorry, this one from Ars Technica, numerous orgs hacked after installing weaponized open source apps. 
things like PuTTY, Kitty, Type VNC, PDF Reader, MuPDF, Subliminal Recording, all those were hit up in this attack, basically. Um, <laughs> essentially, the this was something from Mandiant, I think, originally. The security firm Mandiant warned that hackers with ties to North Korea had trojanized PuTTY in a campaign that successfully compromised a customer's network. Interesting. So Mandiant discovered this after the fact. So somebody downloaded PuTTY from someplace that wasn't reputable and game over. Like, that's always my fear is that like somebody says, oh, this version of thing is no longer available and I need it. They have it, but it's not a reputable source. And it's like, what do you do? And that's when you have to take a risk assessment, basically, and say, well, if everything goes horribly wrong while I'm running this software, uh, what is the worst case scenario? And if you can live with that, you make that choice. But when it comes to open source software, there's really no reason not to download from reputable sources. Um, you know, Putty has its own website. Tiger VNC has its own website. Like all these tools that were compromised in this hit were all you know, they all have an official website. So make sure that your stuff is installed from a good place. Um, and like, this is, this is like a step above like namespace, like hijacking kind of thing, in my opinion, because they actually had to convince people like download thing from this site. Um, and, and that to me is a little bit harder, but it, 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 could basically be a typo squatting attack at that point too, because if you're pulling in libraries from like, you know, pip, NVM, whatever, you know, choose your poison, um, they could easily be spoofed and be the wrong thing. So that happens. Uh, USB is trying to kill off that super speed branding because it's super confusing. Uh, that's literally like I saw a cable that was labeled super speed. And I said, no, that does not mean it's the fastest thing. That means it's one of the slowest things now. Um, so yeah, like saying something is super fast all the time is not the case unless you actually, uh, update the standard for that, which we all know USB just comes out with new hardware, essentially not overriding standards that has changed now with USB three, but you know, do what you got to do. Um, Brave, the browser company, is going to start blocking annoying and privacy harming crypto consent banners. Now, I have a a plugin for this that basically just says reject all cookies and move on with life, but it doesn't always work. And now Brave is building it into the browser itself. That I think is cool. That is a useful feature. Why? Because the cookie consent things can actually be a great way to, you know, identify users. Ah, oh, yeah, this user's loaded this cookie consent thing before. They have this kind of profile, this kind of computer. They like these things from the site, right? Like, you get what I'm getting at, right? Like, they can just put cookies and just keep updating them the more you go to the site. So, this takes that off the table for everybody. Um and you don't have to worry about the cookie pop-ups as much anymore. And if it's anything like the, the Chrome extension I use, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, it's few and far between. It's mainly on my iOS devices where I see the cookie pop-ups now, which is, you know, something I would like to see go away as well. 
the cookie pop-ups are just out of control, folks, right? Like, every site has tracking on it. We know that, right? Like, do you need to use cookies to track your thing? Not always, right? Like, Plausible, Fathom, I think both of those are cookie-less solutions for analytics, and they are more than adequate for my needs. Um, so if you're using something like Google Analytics, where you don't use half the stack of software that's in there, you probably only use like 10% of the features of Google Analytics. Think about that and say, do I really need to give Google more info? I feel like Google has enough info on everybody. Uh, your site doesn't necessarily have to do that as well. My friend Corey Quinn uh, wrote about on his website, the baffling maze of Kubernetes. Essentially, it's there's, you know, the whole CNCF landscape. We all joke about it. Uh, you know, it used to be a useful thing. Uh, but now, you know, that was way before times. But now it's just kind of almost comical because of all the stuff that's listed on the CNCF landscape. It's like, and it's no longer like granular enough to be like, oh, I need a thing for this one specific use case. Like looking at the landscape is comical. Um, and, and Corey kind of says like, I don't know what the right thing to do with Kubernetes is. And that I think is a big problem because if folks don't understand Kubernetes to start with, and then on top of that, they don't know what tools and things to do to kind of help them get going and point out things that will, you know, prevent them from foot gunning themselves or anything like that. Uh, that's that's kind of needed, right? Like we need to make Kubernetes easier for folks. And keep in mind, Corey is probably using EKS. So like he's got the control pane piece handled. Uh, let me just double check and see that he is. But uh, the, uh, yeah, so Tilt, Scaffold, yeah, he's talking about all the platform tools, like, on top of Kubernetes. So clearly he's using a service. Uh, well, not clearly, but yes, he's, he, he would appear to have Kubernetes up and running. That's not the issue here. Like, the clouds make that easy. It's actually putting things on Kubernetes and getting the info you need out of it. That gets hard. All right. So check that out. Link is in chat. Uh, next up, let's see this tool, Immutable Linux Meta Distribution for Edge Kubernetes. It's called Kairos, Kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. So I don't, Kairos, uh, yeah, you got me. Um, but essentially what it aims to do is be... Immutable, bootable Kubernetes and OS images for edge devices. So essentially it's trying to be that atomic upgradable thing. Um, it used to be called C3 OS. Now it is Kairos, Kairos, whatever you call it. But uh, Kairos can be used to easily spin up a Kubernetes cluster with the Linux distribution of your choice, manage the cycles, cluster lifecycle with Kubernetes from building to provisioning and upgrading, and create multiple nodes, single cluster that spans across regions. So this could be a super handy tool. Uh, you could obviously use this anywhere. It doesn't have to be on an IoT device. Um, you know, use it wherever you see fit. And... That is now, nope, because the paste button doesn't work. 
on the iPhone. Because paste. Allow paste. If anybody has hit the allow paste bug more than once, it is me. I tried to write the newsletter on my iPad this weekend, and I literally could not because the allow paste dialog would not pop up. There was just an error that said could not paste from OS. It's like, that's awesome. This allow paste bug is also giving me issues when I plug my phone in my car. Uh, I drive a Ford. It has like CarPlay and Android's auto kind of thing. And I plug it in and it asks me the same prompts every time I start my car. And these are the same prompts that you would see the first time you set up the device. And it's like, why am I seeing this multiple times? Why am I seeing this? I just got out of my car five minutes ago. Now I'm back in it. And I'm seeing it again. Like, this is a really nasty bug that somehow Apple didn't catch in its testing. Right? Like, this is happening on my brand new iPhone. This is happening on my, you know, iPad Pro. This is happening in a lot of places. It's super annoying. Um, but yeah, the allow paste thing that you see all the time in iOS now is very much a bug and Apple has come clean that it is a bug. Um, so some news behind the news, if you weren't aware, the international telecommunications union, uh, or agency, whatever they're called now, there was a vote. It's a UN organization. So there was a vote between a U.S. representative and a Russian representative. And people thought it was actually going to be close. Hey, Carlos, how's it going, buddy? Um, people thought this, you know, internal voting was going to be close. Uh, and this is for, you know, the U.N. tech agency, the ITU kind of deal. And this is a standard setting company. So you really don't want this to be just anybody. Um Right. Like they need to have a good tech background. They need to understand that, you know, this is a political kind of election kind of deal. But it's it's literally like the interning running of um, a voting system from all the countries of the U.N. who is going to be the head of this ITU organization. And luckily, it's the American candidate, the U.S. candidate, and not the Russian candidate. Because a lot of people were concerned if it was the Russian candidate, the Internet was going to get a lot more bad. Um, you know, government surveillance versus corporate surveillance. Take your pick. Uh, if I could choose just one, that would be nice. Um, but that's not the case. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of a good thing that this election was... Went the way it went, and it was a landslide because it really does show solidarity for uh, the folks in Ukraine that are just absolutely being bombarded constantly by the Russians in this war of aggression and, you know, basically all its legalities, uh, just absolutely horrific uh, atrocity against mankind, essentially, in my opinion. Um, but that's just my opinion. Uh, so another tool, and they actually followed me on Twitter after I tweeted this out called Alero. It scans CICD pipelines for misconfigurations. As we all know, misconfigurations are a, a big problem in our DevOps worlds. Uh, and misconfigurations will get you in the end, right? Like it'll open a back door or it'll make your software crash or it'll, you know, drop production one day, whatever. We all know misconfigurations are a problem. This tool aims to help you with that. 
and it you know it looks through GitHub. You know, so you have to be kind of on GitHub to use it. Kind of you know make take full advantage of it, but it allows you to say like ensure this version of Python, ensure this version of Node, uh, prevent kubectl apply, prevent npm install, sneak prevent continue on error. You know, like there's options like that in there. So full fledged tool to help you do all the things in CI/CD and check for misconfigurations. I can't you know, verify the awesomeness of the tool itself. It's brand new, essentially. Uh, it only has 106 stars, but it's probably worth checking out if you want to put some, you know, solid controls around your CICD, um, which we all know would be helpful in a lot of cases. And yeah, to give you some context, uh, you know, like I share in the newsletter typically, or it gets added to the notes, I'll say. If any post on LinkedIn gets more than 100 impressions, this got 10 times that. It got 1,000 impressions. So this was by far the most popular thing I shared on LinkedIn this week. So check it out. Clearly, like a lot of people need a solution to this problem. Uh, let's see what time check here. 35 after, we're good. Uh, if anybody, feel free to raise your hand. I can make you a speaker or whatever, and you can ask questions. Uh, Istio is officially a CNCF project. Um, that happened last week, or week before last, I think, officially, officially. Um, yeah, they were accepted as an incubating project in the CNCF. What does that mean? So the CNCF has three levels of project life cycle we'll call it well actually four because there is end of life um so a full life cycle no less that has been used even it's even you know it's amazing you know software can go out of date and we can actually stop using it at some point in the cncf you know life cycle it's kind of nice so it starts at sandbox typically um but you know any project can apply for any level um of you know, sandbox incubating, they cannot apply for graduation. They have to be in incubating to apply for graduation. So you can apply for sandbox. You can apply for incubating. Istio is an incubating project. That means that it meets a certain level of usage, a certain number of, you know, companies making products out of it, standing behind it, that kind of thing. So you've got a large group of folks using Istio, IBM, Google, all those people. Um, and it's it's finally a CNCF project as it should have been the whole time, not Google's little fun, funky little trademark thingy that they didn't understand about CNCF. So they created their own organization, which might have been the most confusing thing in software history. Um, so yeah, that's out on the CNCF, you know, governance and everything. So have at it, folks. It is a full fledged CNCF product project now. Uh, I still think Linkerd is better. That's just my two cents. Let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Apple News was hijacked to send an obscene push notification. Well, I'm glad I don't have Apple News sending me push notifications. Uh, yikes. Um, trying not to. Oh, so here's an odd one. There's so Fedora users using Mesa or Mesa, however you want to say it. If you're using the VA API support, 
with an AMD graphics driver on Fedora, you're going to have problems soon. Um, basically, there's some licensing issue that has caused Red Hat to say, hey, we're not going to bundle you know, this with our software directly anymore. I don't know if it'll be like a third party thing. I'm sure you can, I'm totally sure you can get it from like Apple or something like that potentially. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just not going to be baked into Fedora 37. So again, that affects things like H.264, H.265, VC1. The whole VA API stack from Mesa is going to be affected by this in Fedora 37. So if you're a Fedora user, uh, like I am, uh, I'm a multi, I'm a polyglot OS lover, I guess is the right way to put it. Um, which reminds me, I need to try out Rocky Linux. I still haven't done that. Hi, Christian. Good morning. I see you in chat. Uh, <laughs> the, the next article is from Netflix's tech blog talking about Timestone. Uh, it's their high throughput, low latency queuing system. Uh, yes, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, obviously, it's uh, a Netflix tech article, so talks a lot in depth about the how, the why, um, and you know, this might not be a great solution for you, but it's a thing, um, and it works for Netflix. So, uh, my understanding is, you know, when when Netflix started having some issues on the stock market, my first expression of concern was, oh man, all that custom software. But my understanding is that they've done a lot of good hygiene. Like they have good hygiene in their development cycles and in their tooling cycles and everything like that. So they're fine, right? Like they have to build at their scale for them because of their scale. Um, and this is just, you know, another piece of that scale puzzle for Netflix. Uh, but it's pretty cool for a queuing system. It's pretty daggum fast. It, you know, it can talk to Kafka, it can talk to Redis, can do whatever you need to do. Um, yeah, it's just really just kind of intensely cool kind of thing. So that's in uh, that shared if you, uh, the Twitter space if you need it. It'll also be in the notes. Um, do, 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 do. More stuff about Cody's passing. Uh, so I follow this. Well, I subscribe to a newsletter. I follow a Twitter account called Exploding Topics. Um, it's explodingtopics.com. It's a cool site. Uh, it, it just gives you an idea of like search volume on random products or projects or whatever. Um, talks a lot about, you know, like retail products, but it also talks about tech products. And this week, uh, one of the things that had blown up recently was the term distroless, which I thought was interesting from like a technology perspective, because I don't say distroless less, distroless uh, often. Um, so, but apparently other people are. So to me, that is a sign that I need to go look at it too. So yeah, the volume of growth the past five years is 3,900%. Obviously it's a new term. So take that with a grain of salt, but yeah, apparently distroless is a thing and it's picking up wide adoption. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Another cool site I found, uh, internet.nl. Uh, so NL is the Netherlands, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but basically, this is a way to like test your website for you know any email issues that might happen because email is hard. There's like 1,400 protocols you have to follow now. 
This will also tell you if your website has good, bad misconfigurations, that kind of thing. So internet.nl, super easy site to remember, but super handy as well. So keep it in your back pocket. It works, you know, in the browser to tell you everything and not, you know, some proprietary piece of software like an iOS app or something you got to install. It's very handy. Uh, you can use it as you see fit. For example, it assigns a score. I don't necessarily prescribe to the scoring, but if you go to the site and you type in devopsers.com, it runs a test. It's looking for modern IP addresses, secure connections, uh, DNSSEC, routing, if any routing's off, it might pick that up. Um, like I don't have DNSSEC, so it knocks me for that. That's kind of mean, but whatever. You know, DNSSEC is what it is. Uh, okay, mine's turned off. My bad. Also, uh, HTTP compression. Well, my site auto-redirects to HTTPS, so HTTPS compression is available, but not HTTP compression. Does that make sense? I don't know. So, yeah, like the scoring is not something I necessarily prescribe to, but it's it's there. It'll tell you a lot about the way your site's configured or your email server's configured as you see fit. Um, oh, so here's a good one. Here's one of those, like, meta news pieces. So New York, this is from Bloomberg, so, you know, you'll probably hit a paywall. Um, but it, New York City's empty offices reveal a global property dilemma. So we're all working a little bit more flexibly, I hope. Uh, you know, obviously some jobs are not, but a lot of us technologists you know, can work remotely nowadays. And when I say technologist, I mean any consumer of technology, right? Like the 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 ability to work remotely now is quite vast across a lot of different careers. And that's awesome. But it's also created this weird problem in New York City and other cities are going to feel it. But New York is like the, the you know, textbook problem model. Uh, they have buildings that are essentially, you know, too old to be refurbished, you know, effectively, or, you know, economically to be, you know, modern and, you know, meet today's office workers standards or whatever, you know, they're like office buildings built in the, the, the late sixties, seventies kind of thing. And it's like 10 to 15% of New York commercial real estate that is just empty right now. Um, it's really hard to convert it to residential, which you would think, well, if it's a big office space, making it residential could be pretty quick and easy in New York City. Apparently, they've not greased those skids. And that, to me, is a great solution to the housing crisis because Lord knows housing costs in my area are just astronomically more expensive. And I live outside of Detroit, so I, I know if it's bad here, it's got to be terrible in other markets where the housing market is a lot hotter. Um but yeah, around 10% or more of New York's office real estate is not usable, essentially. Uh, it doesn't, you know, nobody's going to lease it because it doesn't have modern amenities. And uh, nobody's going to, you know, refit it because it costs too much to refit. And the, the idea of converting it over to, you know, residential is not feasible as well. So the article itself has many links. Check them out. It's got a fun little map that shows you like a street, basically, 
in a random street in New York kind of deal of where all the problems are and the why behind it kind of deal. And that's useful maybe, but this is going to hit a lot of cities. Like a lot of cities are going to be impacted by this. Um, I mean, I look at Detroit and the amount of office space that has been made available far outstrips the demand right now, but demand is intended is designed to go up and downtown right now. It's gotten a lot better. If you come to QCon, you will see it for yourself. Um, I might actually like pay for walking tours at this point because so many people have asked me, like, can you show me the city? Uh, I need to get that set up. I'll probably do that after this. Um, so yeah, the, uh, the amount of real estate that's becoming available because just the, the building's old is jumping way more now because of our flexible work lives. Um, and news wise, let's see, there's one more tool, uh, tool. Uh, well, it's a repo, uh, ex Googlers looking for things like the thing they had at Google. So if you had Borg externally, it's, it's Kubernetes, uh, or Mesos or Aurora nomad, one of those things. So like it has this list on the left-hand side, it's a bunch of tables, essentially. Here's the tool from Google on the left-hand side that you would use internally. Here's an accompanying tool, you know, on the outside. It even says Google external tools. So if it's in like GCP, it'll list it um, as that. And then if it's open source or, you know, from somebody else, it'll list that as well. You know, like for load balancing, it lists HAProxy, Nginx, you know, obviously good software. Um, but it also mentions cloud load balancing from GKE. So it's a list of uh, tools from Googlers uh, looking for Google-like tools. And with that, I'm going to wrap up the podcast. Uh, thank you all for joining live, all 20-some people of you. It doesn't show me the count anymore for some reason. Um, and tune in next week, same bat time, same bat channel. As always, stay safe out there. Subscribe to the newsletter, devopsish.com. Three syllables, devops-ish, like I-S-H. Dot com, hit subscribe, put in your email address, off you go. You'll get the newsletter every week, which will have links to this Twitter space that you could participate in next week. With that, I bid you adieu. Have a wonderful week. Stay safe out there. And if you need anything, let me know. I'm always here. Thanks, y'all.